Welcome to Dragon Talk, everybody! Yay! Hello! Very excited to welcome you all to the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Once again, this is episode 9472. <laughs> Don't you wish we, we should probably Maybe. start counting? Yes, I would love to know what episode this is. We have missed milestones that we probably could have like convinced someone to like expense us a cake. I mean, come on, <laughs> we're missing out on cake over here. Greg Tito and Shelly Mazzanoble, we need cake. We just want the cake to say our names as well as have our our, our dragon talk symbol there. Yeah, that's so hard to ask. Congratulations on your five thousandth, one hundredth, and eleventh episode. We don't even know. We, we can, don't know. It's D and D. We can just make it up. We'll just roll some some percentile die, and we'll get our uh, number of episodes here. Numbers work differently in Dungeons and Dragons. It's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. We are excited to talk to you here about. Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. We have two amazing guests, Molly Knox Ostertag and Cassandra Kaw. We've had Molly on the podcast before to talk about her graphic novel, Witch Boy, as well as uh, her wife, Noelle Stevenson, who created the She-Ra, Princess of Power uh, animated series on Netflix. Uh, And Cassandra Kaw, who has been a uh, horror writer and uh, video game writer extraordinaire for a long time. I've been following her. I love uh, her posts and her personality, and we're really excited to talk to the both of them about their contributions to Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Yes. I do remember seeing the, their names pop up um, under the contributors and everybody just getting really excited. Yeah. Like, internally, everybody was like, oh, this is going to be good. And it is. It's so good. Go figure. It is so good. Um, so Cassandra's audio is a little uh, not awesome. Uh, just throwing that out there now, so you guys are aware. We tried to uh, make it as, as as best as we can, but you know, pandemics happen and files get crushed uh, under the weight of viruses. I don't know, computer yeah, or otherwise. Just blame. It's the pandemic. It's the pandemic, buddy. We're just going to use that excuse yeah. for as long it was like, as we can. Maybe it was a cosmic horror that uh, attacked us through the interwaves. Yes. I think that's even better. That's even better. All right, so. Very exciting stuff. Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft will be in your hands if you are lucky enough to purchase it on May 18th. It has got tons of stuff for including different types of horror in your game, uh, as well as little micro settings called Domains of Dread that expand on the idea of Perovia that was in Curse of Strahd, as well as uh, some of these other fun places like like uh, Tepest. And the folk For instance. horror that happens there, uh, which Molly uh, Knox Ostertag worked on, uh, for example, and folk horror and uh, some of the other fun stuff from the Hal, uh, Hal, 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 oh man, I'm, uh, Halrua, that's it. Halrua is the domain of dread that has some uh, cosmic fun stuff happening in it too. I feel like you're picking all of the domains that are really hard to pronounce, and I, <laughs> I, I admire that about you. You just well, went in for the really hard ones. It is D&D, so they're all somewhat hard to pronounce, I guess. They've got yes. lots of apostrophes in them, for example, like Harakir has a, an apostrophe. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Very good pronunciation. I, I practiced. Uh, I mean, who could really tell you if it was wrong? Not me. Not me. That's also, it's D&D. If that's the way you want to pronounce it, that's the way you pronounce it. Absolutely. I'm really leaning into this whole, there's no rules, do whatever you want. Then. 
it's I. That is D and like it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of no rules, uh, you may be able to watch uh, a video on demand of me and Shelley painting a miniature. <laughs> With the news, uh, we have a red slot that we are painting up, and it's going to be tons of fun. I've never painted a miniature before, but you can Me check neither. that all out at whizkids.com uh, slash red slad. Slad? Slad. Red slad. You got to say it like that. I'd like to make a red beet salad and eat mm. that alongside painting a red slad. Do you think that's weird? No, I think that sounds delicious. I had a delicious beet salad this past weekend. Oh, man. And Would it, it be really cool if you're like, I made the pigment for this paint out right? of red beets, and I'm, you're painting that on a red oh, slot? Do oh, it. <laughs> I could tie Wait. it more into Ravenloft. Were you whispering? I couldn't hear you. Yeah. Oh. You gotta, you gotta whisper. Sage voice. whisper. Or blood. More blood. <sighs> yes, I want to drink your blood. Blood. Yeah. Strad. Um, so... so yeah, that's going to be super fun. Yeah. Do we have not yet done it yet, but you listening to this, you will be able to watch it. And it is, we're just going to say it's probably some of best. our best work. Uh, came out better than I thought. <laughs> that's, Let me that's roll the die on that. Oh, you got a 10. So it was about average. Mm. Yeah. Good stuff. That's fine. I will, I will take that for sure. And part of the fun of working on Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft and getting the word out about it is that we have lots of new... Um, D&D team members uh, joining the team and working on some of, uh, uh, of Van Richten's as well as books to come. And we decided to create a brand new segment called Insight Check, in which oh. we'll be checking in with these amazing uh, team members. Some of you, you know, may have known or seen their names in the credits before. Some of them may be new to you. Uh, but we're really excited about welcoming these team members and uh, getting their expertise on all D&D products to come. I think this is a super fun idea. Right. So get ready to roll your insight check. See that? Ah, You can use that audio. It's a 20. (gasps) No joke. That means you will know everything about Mackenzie to Armas. Yep. Soon. I hope she's ready for this. All right. Well, let's go to that, and then we'll get to our interview. Okay. Welcome to Inside Check, everybody. This is the segment on Dragon Talk where we get to talk to people in the D&D team and the Greater Wizards of the Coast organization and get to know a little bit about them so you know what they do. And today, we have Mackenzie DeArmas, Associate Game Designer on the Dungeons & Dragons team. Hi, Mackenzie. How are you doing? Hi! Yay. I'm so happy to be here! Oh, this is so exciting! Yes. I'm so excited for this. This is going to be awesome. So okay. we're going to start by rolling an insight check on you. So oh I oh, yeah, got yeah. an 11. Uh, <laughs> are you going to be truthful dialing. going forward? <laughs> I got a 14. Oh, okay, Shelly wins. Okay. okay. Yep, yep. I think she's going to be truthful. So These an associate be- game designer working on, you know, really the words of what ends up in D&D books, right? Mm-hmm. I candle all the words, all the fiddly bits with the mechanics, how many dice you roll when you go and... The- punch something, all of that's kind of what I do, or more so how many dice you roll when the monster punches you, but, you know, that sort of thing. 
Because you've been working on monsters more recently? I've, it's mostly been monsters, which I'm not complaining about because I love doing monster design because it lets me, it lets me like peer into the future a little and be like, ooh, I cannot wait for DMs to throw this at players and use this cool ability I built and for players to go, what do you mean it rolls that much damage? What do, <laughs> what do you mean it does this to me? What? So <laughs> you work fun. for Dungeon Masters. I, I get to make all the, the, the creators that will be tossed at the, at the at unfortunate players or player characters. So how, but how do you do like the math stuff? How are you testing this and balancing it? What, what really does that entail? Uh, oh, for me, I, I generally just reference a lot of other monsters because we have so many, um, there's so many that are in like target range I'm looking for, or even there are monsters who do things that I already want them to do. Like I want this new monster to do something that uh, a previous monster in one of the many, many books already does. So I just sort of go and search through the database and find something that's adjacent to what I want and then just sort of tweak it a little. Uh, there's, there's, it's very much just reinventing the wheel slightly, adding some flashy rims. <laughs> <laughs> Ones that hopefully like spin backwards when it goes forward. I mean, like, no, the rims are real cool, but it's like they're for designing monsters. It's a lot of using what we've already got uh, and also using a calculator. I, oh, I, have, to calculator. A, I have to use a calculator. I made yeah. a joke on Twitter that was like, Look, if I have to use a calculator when making the monsters, you could use a calculator when fighting the monsters. I, I can't judge. I have to use a calculator when figuring out how these things work. No, no, don't worry about being slow or bad at math. I am doing it and I am the one creating the things that are causing you to do math. So you have, <laughs> you have free reign. And, <laughs> and you joined Wizards uh, somewhat recently, right? Uh, yes, I joined in January. In January. So how has that been coming into the team that has been virtual this whole time? Um, it's been it's been cool. It I was like, I hesitate to say weird because for me, I since I transitioned from going like just being full full-time freelancer, where everything I did was essentially virtual, save for maybe one job. Um, it didn't feel very much different than what I had started out doing. Um it has been fun hearing about like the mythical wizards of the coast office and being <laughs> like, one day, one day I will be there. One, one day, day I shall enter the tower and see all the cool things that everyone talks about and like actually have like a desk that, you know, is adjacent to human beings that I work with. That'll be, that'll happen. Someday. One day in the future. One day, one day. <laughs> have you, so you have never been to the wizards of the coast office? No. I visited very briefly to fix my laptop and that was it. Oh, yeah. Oh, so you were close to where your desk yes. probably is. I think so. Yeah. We did not, we, we, we may have found my desk, but we're not sure. So it's, it'll be a guessing game when, when I eventually go to the office proper. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just got to stake your claim, right? Just put, yeah, this, was, this is where my t name tag is. So this is my desk now. That's the thing. It's like there was no name. I, I didn't have a name tag. There was none. None of the desks had my name tag. I was in the database, but the desk we went to had someone else's name tag. And so we were like, is <laughs> is that it? I mean, it says so here, but it doesn't say that's not your name. So I didn't want to touch it in case it wasn't actually mine. So I just sort of like hovered over it and went, well, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One day. Everything's going to move around anyway. Yeah. When we... It's, it's so cool. No one told me about the giant dice you have, like lying oh, on the office. Oh, yeah. Those Everyone were told from... Me, yeah. 
from Rick and when we did our Rick and Morty uh, live event, and we had the yeah. the giant dice from the cover of the like, like box. People told me about like the art, and then they told me about like the beholder. Uh, but no one, no one mentioned like I know about like the ampersand that's going on the wall, but no one told me about the giant dice. And the office was empty, and it was so hard to resist the temptation to just take one just, of the big dice and just yuck it. <laughs> it's very heavy. It is not made of foam, unfortunately. Unfortunately, but you, I, I mean, didn't touch it. But like, it was so tempting to be like, I want to roll it. It's big. <laughs> I want to roll it. Um, I'm sure they told you about Mitzi. The did you see yes. Mitzi? Uh, no, because it was under construction. So Mitzi was mysteriously under construction. Absent. Yeah. No, what? They're, they're they're redoing like the lobby and stuff. I think where where would they put her? I wonder. I just didn't. Maybe I just didn't go She's to the in area. Quarantine. But like, I didn't. I haven't yet to see uh, Mitzi the dragon. All right. Well, She's we got my house, guys. There's. <laughs> Oh, you took her in? Yeah, I, I've been feeding her. She's, She's quarantining with you? Yeah, just porridge, <laughs> you know, little spoonfuls every once in a while just to get her strength up. Well, we got to leave you with, you know, something to be excited about seeing when you do finally return to the office. Other I mean, than actual humans. About seeing, yeah, I was like, people. I'm really excited to actually, like, meet the people on the team because currently I know most of them, like, only from, like, the shoulders up. And it's like, <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to see everyone and they're going to have actual like physical form they're gonna be they're gonna exist more than just like shoulders up and it's gonna be weird like i have to deal with people who have height differences because everyone's the same height on on zoom or on microsoft teams and then i'm gonna go see people and they're all i'm gonna be like hello that's gonna be the weirdest for me is because obviously a lot of new people have started since we've all been working from home and i just i have like attached what i think their heights are in Mm -hmm. in my mind and then when I see them in real life, now I actually did ask one person, Natalie, who's on your team, and I was like, I just get the essence of you. Like you're tall, you're like five six, five seven. And she was like, No, I'm like five two. So it's just, it's just going to be weird to see people in real yep. life and just not have yep. any yep. real idea. Yep. No? Yeah. I'm like I'm I'm small, and I had this thing happen when I went to cons for the first time when people met me. And I was like, oh my God, I am tiny. I don't <laughs> like, I, I mean, look, I know everyone around me is essentially average height or taller. So I'm the odd one out. But still, I was like, man, I just kind of was so used to talking eye level with everyone. This is, this is odd, not in a bad way, but also I am small. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> it's like you're like a whole sat, yeah. uh, size category down from everybody else. I am, I am small i could fit in the, i could be a small mini we see you should be not just designing monsters we got to get you to a gnome and halfling content out there uh just you know from from the experience that you've lived in let, <laughs> let, let me let me be a kobold i will be a kobold <laughs> or a goblin small scrappy sometimes screams <laughs> now you're not uh are you native to the seattle area no i moved when i moved beginning of or end of January beginning of February uh, I wanted to move before I like the job kicked in full swing so I wasn't dealing like with working and also trying to move um so I got to have the fun experience of moving here everyone telling me oh it doesn't snow that much and then like two weeks later I moved from Southern California to like a place where I was like oh I'm not gonna have to worry about snow I know it's up further up north but we'll be fine and then it it just snowed it Mm. snowed so much yeah yeah 
Sorry, I'm like, what is what is this mysterious substance? <laughs> we may I have to stop telling people that it doesn't snow in Seattle. It's like it's once every two years, once every three years, where we get that much it's accumulation been on a yearly. Yeah, that was a lot of accumulation, but yeah, it was cool. But my my Southern California, my Southern California body was not ready to experience <laughs> temperatures that are below like sixty five degrees. Yeah, that's a big change, Southern California. Seattle, but yeah, it's a lot sure wetter. You'll love it. You'll love yeah. it. It's oh no, I love it so it's far. Green. It's great. It's been awesome from what I can see from my inside of my apartment. Uh, it's one of those <laughs> things on my list of things to do once I'm out of quarantine and the world sort of opens up again is to actually explore the place I moved to because I've never been here before. I just up and moved here. Yeah. So I'm like, I have to still do all the touristy stuff. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a, a whole world waiting for you out there? So I go to like Pike's Place, and, Pike's Place and stuff. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've been here for six years, and similar to you, I didn't. I came up here for conventions and packs, but didn't get to explore any of the kind of greater area. And I still feel like that now, where I'm like, oh, I have to go to that place, and people are like, oh, we went to you know this natural park or national park, and I'm like, oh yeah, I have to go there and check it out because there's just mm-hmm. it's it's like having a Middle Earth's worth of continent of, of of dungeons and places to go explore that we just haven't really been able to do, especially you know over this last year. So yeah, that's pretty exciting. We do have, we are very lucky. Yeah. So like, what when you're not designing games and balancing monsters, what what sorts of things do you like to do? Um, I mean, I do like playing games, and I'm trying to make I'm trying to make more fun to or make more time to play games for fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as a way to, you know, fight off the burn burnout and stuff. Um, I also, I'm very slowly getting into video games again. I'm, it's very hard for me to get into video games because I have very, very terrible hand-eye coordination, <laughs> but I'm trying to get into more gaming. I, I got a Switch light when I graduated as a graduation present last year, nice. and I've been trying to, like, get into, like, start playing, like, Breath of the Wild uh, and Hollow Knight. I'm not very good at either, and it's a little stressful because I keep dying, <laughs> but um, it's been really fun. Um, I've also, I doodle a little. Um, I I draw, and I like drawing, like, my D&D characters for fun. Uh, I wasn't, I'm self-taught, so I'm, like, not great at it, but it's fun for me, and I love, like, I get a lot of, I get a really big kick out of, like, designing, like, character outfits and doing, like, character concepts, uh, just sort of helping visualize kind of what I feel for like certain characters that I have sitting in my D&D Beyond account that I will one day maybe sometime get to play. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And cool. and cooking. I like cooking. Oh, cool. What's your oh, specialty? Yeah, I was just going to ask. Following a recipe? Just like, what do you like to... Yeah, I know. I was like following a recipe. Oh, following a recipe. recipe. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't make my own stuff yet. I used to when I was in university, but that was essentially what do I have in the pantry? Cool. That's dinner now. Yeah. I don't think that's a specialty. I think that's that's a good skill, though, to be that's improvising like a dungeon master, like a DD. Yeah. I was Uh, like, I will call this. This is my garbage pasta. I call it to that because it is literally, it's just whatever I got left over, like bits and pieces from other recipes. Here, just toss them all in the pot there. That works. It's food. <laughs> That's very good. 
Um, so you mentioned before working at Wizards, you did some mm-hmm. freelance work. Yes. What's What were some of the projects that you've worked on before? Um, so I was the lead writer for the Islands of Sina Una, which is a, uh, 5e setting based all around pre-colonial Filipino mythology. Uh, I'm Filipino myself. And so it was super fun getting to research into a Filipino culture and mythology, um, and working to preserve a lot of it because a lot of it is being deliberately forgotten or, um, fading out. And so getting to look into that sort of thing and, preserve it in a way that allows people to interact with it and make other stories that they can pass on with, with, you know, that culture in mind was super awesome. Uh, I also did a lot of work for Matt Koval over at MCDM. I was one of the co-designers for Kingdoms and Warfare. Uh, I was working on that pretty much throughout all of 2020. And I also was one of the contributors to their Arcadia magazine, where I made a bunch of elementals. Exciting. I'm a, ba- a Kickstarter backer of... Uh, uh, kingdoms, and I can't wait for it to come out very soon. It's gonna be, it's gonna be cool. It it's gonna so be real cool. cool. Yeah, I got the strongholds. I'm ready to 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 jump into to, to kingdoms. It's gonna be fun. Yes, I I was like, oh man, you're gonna think it's so cool. I can't say anything about it, but it's gonna be so cool. <laughs> that's yeah, that's the game industry right there. Uh, and I loved uh, playtesting uh, some of the Sinu Unu stuff with you. It was super great. And uh, I loved that story of like just, you know, uh, preserving history and culture through yeah. uh, a, a gaming product seems just, yeah. you know, I, I just love that. I always find it super interesting because like a lot of like Filipino stories were passed down by oral tradition, which is a part of the reason why they're being forgotten. And yeah. I always find it so harmonious that like we're preserving these stories in a way that also encourages oral storytelling and it's passing down these stories in that same sort of vein and I think that's just really cool it's also just been super cool to learn about all of that stuff and all these stories and myths that you know I I hadn't even heard of yeah Yeah, right and then be able to present those to a whole new audience uh and Mm -hmm. and get some of that cultural memory out there. Yep. Uh, it's fantastic. I love it. And it's it's very, I love how different it feels than uh, some of the traditional, you know, D&D tropes that are out there. Uh, mm-hmm. Really great stuff. Cool. And now you are, do you, I know you Dungeon Master, but are you also mm-hmm. a player or do you favor one versus the other? Currently right now, I'm not dungeon mastering any like active campaigns, which I want to change soon, but I was busy with moving and all that. Um, so right now, I'm mostly a player. Okay. So what one of the of, things what? that we have been working on together, and I loved your idea about your approach to teaching or to uh, you know giving advice to new dungeon masters, because you said that you're relatively new to that role as well, and that there's there's something about having a new dungeon master teach a new dungeon master because yeah. you're, you still kind of remember all of those things that mm-hmm. maybe gave you a little anxiety of, or that you were worried about in the beginning. So mm-hmm. do you have like, just like really quickly, like what would be like your number one tip for a new dungeon master? Mm-hmm. Um, this is a lesson I learned very quickly early on and it still is a little hard for me to internalize, but um, I would say, remember that you as much as we joke about the DM being like a god or a deity or like the eldritch being in control of the table, 
uh, it's always important to remember that you, you you don't have to know everything. You don't have to be omnipotent or this omnipotent being. Um, you can rely on your players to help fill in some of the gaps. Um, and you are allowed to make mistakes and pause and take that time to go, I wasn't expecting this. Give me a second to recalibrate. Um, allowing yourself that sort of grace to find a comfortable spot with from which you can improvise, I think is really important because so often people expect the DM to know everything, to prepare for everything, to respond to everything, no matter how off the rails it goes. And it's been really freeing for me to remember that I can step back and remember that I am only human. Yes, that is very good advice. Um, hard for, I think, a lot of, of new dungeon masters to accept, like, because there is that perception that you have to know everything. But yeah, if you're just, you're, you're part of the party, you're part of the group mm -hmm. and everybody yeah. can have a share in, yeah. in that telling of the story. That's cool. Awesome. Well, I feel like I have some more insight into your character now, Mackenzie. Past our insight check. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Roll awesome. high. Well, so excited for your uh, work uh, at the DD team and 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 where it's going to go in the future. I know we can't necessarily talk about what is exactly everything you're working on, but I am excited about it in I'm theory. I'm excited for redacted and also redacted and also redacted. <laughs> oh my god, that redacted book is going to be redacted. off the chain. It's going to be redacted amazing. It's going to be so cool. I can't believe we're doing redacted. Redacted uh, confirmed. People are going to freak out. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks, Mackenzie. You're the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. I love Mackenzie. Such a wonderful breath of fresh air for mm -hmm. the D&D team, right? I agree. I agree. I think uh, there's... I, I think she's going places. I do. <laughs> I really do. I appreciate her uh, her views on dungeon mastering and, and helping to get some people that maybe have been a little intimidated about trying it, giving it a go, and just having that, that perspective of like a new dungeon master to new dungeon master. We can do this. Done we can and do this. done. Yeah. Like it. She's very talented. Awesome. Well, let's get to our uh, feature interview here with Cassandra Ka and Molly Knox Ostertag. Everyone, let's welcome Molly Knox Ostertag and Cassandra Ka to Dragon Talk. Yay! 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 So excited. What a lineup today. Yes. <laughs> This and awesome. we are talking to you two uh, because you both contributed in very different ways to Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, which is coming out on May 18th, very, very soon. Um, and we've talked to Molly before uh, about all of your adventures in, uh, you know, I, I really remember going into uh, LARP school is what I remember <laughs> calling it. It was a summer camp. It wasn't like a school, but I know, but I. great. <laughs> But LARP school, I mean. I mean, it's a solid concept, and I think that someone has that's, to do this and make a billion dollars. <laughs> could, could be the next graphic novel trilogy. LARP school. LARP school. You can take that, Molly. It's all yours. Thank you. 
Um, and Cassandra, <laughs> this is the first time we're talking to you, but I feel like I've been following you uh, on various social medias for a very long time. So I'm very excited to, uh, to get to finally talk to you. It's awesome. Glad for the opportunity. Yeah, nice. and you've been making uh, tons of content, I guess is the word, but uh, you know, writing for video games as well as uh, your own uh, horror novella and things like mm-hmm. that. So yeah, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, your experiences with the horror genre, and then we can we can you know later on in the interview talk more about specifics about Van Richten's. But yeah, let uh, let our listeners know a little bit about yourself. I'm really into splatter punk, even though I do not agree with a lot of the aesthetics practiced by people in the genre. Um, but I have this really, really deep love of gore, um, anatomically correct gore, which is probably due to the fact that my parents, for some very obscure reason, decided at the age of eight, I absolutely have to watch John Carpenter's The Thing with my eyes open. And needless to say, that left a little bit of an impact. And wow. horror has kind of always been a part of my life because growing up in Malaysia, um, the country was really steeped in ghost stories. Everyone had their own ghost stories. Everyone had an account about how they almost survived this or that. Uh, as teenagers, we all snuck into abandoned houses and old hospitals trying to find ghosts while telling each other we are going to get killed by them because <laughs> we were... Yeah, we weren't very bright at that point. That is a classic teen experience. It is, mm-hmm. isn't it? Trying to going into somewhere scary and then trying to scare each other as you're yeah. doing it. Yeah, that's awesome. What? So, a splatterpunk is a term. Actually, I don't know what. What does that uh, uh, term exactly embody? Oh, um, I use it very loosely because the genre as a whole tends to have a lot of exploitative material. Oh, but it's basically anything that's really focused on gore, violence, weird body horror stuff. Um, I'm fascinated with our relationship with our bodies and how it might transform. Let's so with what some um, Oda writers, to put it delicately, have become obsessed with. Right. So it's it's the psychological things behind it that are interesting, not necessarily yeah. the, the 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 blood and viscera. Well, the blood of the Sarah too, very oddly <laughs> enough, um, <laughs> for a large part of my life, I really wanted to work in forensics, but it came to a point when I was going to go to college and my mother was like, no, absolutely not. No daughter of mine is going to play with corpses. And I'm like, well, okay then. <laughs> oh, play with corpses. That sounds so it, fun. It was <laughs> very distinct. No, this is not happening. Man. One of the so best- you're going to write about them. Yeah. One of the best like cartoonists um, I've like ever like hung out with uh, Gus Storms studied in like a, like with a, in a cadaver, like what's, what's it called? Like he like would like do dissections on bodies and like studying the way the musculature worked. And he's so good at like drawing forms and drawing how it all fits together. So I always thought that was really cool that he got like the really like, like starting at the bottom and figuring out how, how a form works. That is really awesome. I know. <laughs> it is like uh, uh, when you hear about artists doing, um, uh, you know, ha- having models and things like that and trying to, you know, make sure that they're getting it anatomically correct. But yeah, yeah, getting right to the bone of it. And mm-hmm. like, how Very does this exciting. tendon connect to this muscle, yeah. to this bone? I mean, being able to represent that in a cartoon is, is difficult. Yeah. 
So are you one of those people, Cassandra, that after, if you had a surgery and the surgeon records it and gives you the DVD of it, would you actually watch that? Absolutely. Is that a thing that happens? <laughs> yes. Do they a friend who had a, a pretty major knee surgery, and he got the whole thing recorded. And he, we went over to his house once for dinner, and he was like, "Do you want to see my knee surgery?" <laughs> no. Before we tear into these enchiladas, no. But thank you. Yeah, wow. I don't. I don't want to see that on anybody. But it happening to me, I think would be. I think for some people, it it would be really interesting maybe yeah. even like like clinical and then it becomes less gross because it's like okay let me see you know what you did here and you know that you're okay like yeah you know that you did not experience the pain and that there is not like someone who was like injured by this like you're like right and i'm fine yeah <laughs> i always thought that i was understand so it in theory but not perhaps not in practice <laughs> yeah I I have now a visceral memory of being young, so this is a, a, a different thing that can probably happen with most kids now, but I was going through the channels when cable had like 600 channels, and I happened upon an open-heart surgery that was just being broadcast on a, some public access station or something, and oh. I, I got to the point where the guy was sawing the sternum of <gasps> a patient, and I, and I was like late at night, there was probably a few inebriants going through me at the time, and I was enthralled for about five minutes, and then I immediately was like, oh, no, I'm ill. I cannot watch this <laughs> oh, anymore. <laughs> and I told oh, people about it, and they're like, wait, did that? how did that happen? How did someone's surgery just end up on television? That's wild. I don't know. Yeah, it's educational, I guess. Yeah, right. Or maybe it was someone like you uh, were saying, Shelly, who just had the DVD and then had the public access uh, hour... <laughs> You know, on Chicago from 3 a.m. to 4 a.m. Yeah. I'm here. I'm going to put this gonna in. watch my open heart surgery. <laughs> to each their own, right? Yeah, to right. each their own. Uh, um, so, yeah, Molly, we talked to you about, uh, you, you know, your graphic novel series and all that stuff. And there's there's a fair amount of horror in in The Witch Boy and, and, and the sequels, right? And so was that something that, you know, you've been uh, working with uh, in, the, in the fantasy horror blend? Yeah, and definitely, like, thinking about horror for, for kids and kind of, um, I was actually really surprised that, like, with the Witch Boy series, Scholastic let me go as hard as they did in certain um, areas of, like, having, like, children, like, eating, like, a rotten deer corpse and stuff as, like, part of their evil transformation. And I was like, this is technically middle grade, but yeah, um, it, they let me have, do it. And it's, it's, I think that kids have such an interesting sense of horror. And so, like, really digging into those and, like, especially just, like, I think when you're a kid, there's like these, like, you get this sense of that something is wrong, but you don't quite know, like, like what it is. And you don't quite have the agency to like do anything about it. So you just have to sit with this lingering unease. So that's definitely something I've tried to, to capture in my work at different times. Um, I also did some writing on The Owl House, which is a show on Disney that was sort of <laughs> <laughs> billed as like a horror comedy. It's, it was, it was really fun. But yeah, that was very I'm so glad. Oh my God, that's oh, so cool. <laughs> I only I only wrote a few episodes, but I, I was on it for most of the first season. Um, yeah, and that was just like, it didn't end up being, there's a couple scary episodes, but it almost was more just like horror as aesthetic and like mm. sort of just like, like how do we take these like, like Hieronymus Bosch style monstrosities and like body horror and kind of turn it into like a fun cartoon. Um, 
So yeah, yeah it's like, it's fun. I think the kids Sounds are easy. really competent at handling that stuff. So going into Ravenloft, like I wasn't specifically thinking of writing for kids, but I think my work is always kind of in that realm. So yeah, it was definitely trying to capture that vibe. And I think uh, in the in the Dungeons and Dragons horror connection like i think writing with the with any audience member in mind is really important right because mm-hmm. you don't want to alienate people or you know do something that would off put them but you also want to play in this you know aesthetic and scare people in a way that feels you know comfortable not comfortable because you'd want them to be a little uncomfortable but in a way that isn't uh, you know crossing any 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 lines yeah. and, and doing so with kids as an idea, it's it's something that's probably really strong for any dungeon master out there who's thinking about dabbling in horror to to think about it. And like incredibly cathartic to get to explore really scary situations and know that ultimately you are safe, but and you're with your friends, but to still get to feel those experiences, I think is like the the why we why we love this genre in general. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, my daughter is into uh, scary things. I don't think she's, she hasn't seen any real well, quote unquote adult horror movies yet, but she will go to the goosebumps and, yeah. uh, you know, very drawn by even just the thumbnails on Netflix that are, that are more horrific. She'll be like, what's that? Tell me about that. What's <laughs> well, that like, going on? Every time I've done a comic workshop with kids in the age range of like eight and up, they all love Five Nights at Freddy's. Oh, this is a couple of years ago, so maybe yeah. not something new, but it, it was like eight-year-olds being like, and all the comics I'm drawing are about Five Nights at Freddy's. And I was just like, I played this game once and had nightmares. Like, I don't know how you did this, but I think it's just like, it almost is like the things that are scary to kids are a little different than the things that are scary to adults. Um, mm-hmm. And so they just like engage with it in a really different way. Um, I was a scaredy cat as a kid, so I, I, I don't understand it. But like, I support them. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I have my similar to Greg's daughter. My son is he's he likes horror too. Like he when he was really young, he would he loved Scooby Doo. And I know other kids were like even Scooby Doo was too much for them. <laughs> the parts of like the movie Trolls that made kids cry. He was just like what? Uh, loves Goosebumps, and he's obsessed with Pennywise. Although he's never seen it, oh my God. but he's obsessed. We had a trick or treater. Um, I think not last year, but the year before, who was like four-year-old dressed in a Pennywise costume. Oh, God. I like, love baby Pennywise. What is your, what is your like, understanding of this character? Like, I mean, they could, they could have parents like Cassandra who uh, made, <laughs> made them watch The Thing at eight. Like, that, this is a future horror writer right that there. That I love They it. will one day say, when I was four, my parents made me be Pennywise for Halloween. And that, made was, <laughs> that was the pivotal moment for me when I knew I'm going to write horror. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think there's almost, uh, and maybe this is similar to like watching a, a DVD of your own surgery. Like when you're scared of something, you kind of uh, gravitate towards it and almost try to to turn it into like your friend. You know, like he tries to position Pennywise as like, no, Pennywise is good. Pennywise is my friend. You know, so so Pennywise won't. <laughs> But I wonder if there isn't like a a way of trying to, it's something that is very, very scary and turning it more into like a common or just not, I know, more having more control over it, yeah. which is a long way of saying playing horror in a game like Dungeons and Dragons can also potentially give mm-hmm. people that agency as well to 
I'm going to take control of this thing that I'm that is scaring me because I now have the tools and the means mm-hmm. in which to do that. Maybe. And the knowledge that it'll be over and can be over at any point if lightly goes too much. Yeah. Yeah, and there's that kind of safe place to to explore that. And for, you know, if you're in the the right group and you've talked about it in advance, there's always you can always stop things too if it if it does go too far. Yeah. So yeah. Cassandra, what have you played a lot of uh, you know horror RPGs uh, in in your in your life, tabletop RPGs? I was a very very large fan of the World of Darkness franchise. Um, in my earlier years, slightly obsessively so, it got to a point where I had several of the rule books completely memorized. Whoa. Wow! Nice. Um, but yeah, I did do a lot of horror RPG stuff. Um, I remember being really fascinated, in particular, with Wraith the Oblivion and how it addressed the idea of the afterlife and so on, but in this kind of weirdly melancholy way. And I was like in my mid-teens, late teens, so that was a really interesting experience because you kind of start realizing that you're, you know, finite around that age, I feel. Yeah. It happens a little earlier when you first pet dies, but then really until then you're like, wait, life has only a certain length. So that was an interesting thing to get into during that phase of my life. And what was it about? The, oh, I cut you off, Molly. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's really cool. Oh yeah, because yeah, I I, lo- I I love fandoms in general. So whenever people kind of wrap around uh, uh, and really embodying uh, a fandom like horror and especially gaming, like I feel like what was what was it about running those games that felt different than? Um, than watching a movie or reading a book uh, in in that same genre. Sorry, could you repeat that? What was it about the tabletop role playing experience of, of Vampire or Wraith Oblivion, as you were saying, like that 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 felt different than just passively watching uh, a film or or reading a book? I mean, I think you've explained it like in the question itself. Um, active participation is very different. There's no sense of being one step removed uh, when you're interacting with the elements when you're there. I think when you get immersed enough, there's a part of your head that sorts of, you know, it forgets where you are and your role in a situation and how you factor into it. And it kind of lets you process whatever it is that you need to process on a very real and very personal level while still retaining that sense of, I am still in a safe place. And I think that applies as well to like video games and so on. Mm. When I was, Greg, I know that the last time I was on here, I talked about LARP camp a lot, but like I like went to LARP camp when I was a teen and my favorite games were always horror. Um, and cause they were, they were like a haunted house, but like, like to the umpteenth degree, like people can grab you and throw you around and like, it's your friends. So you know that you're okay, but like, it's so fucking scary. Sorry. <laughs> so scary. Um, but like the, the note of like being a teen and like having that like life affirming moment is really interesting. Cause I remember being like, I think 17 and playing in a horror game and like fighting so hard to survive and just having something click where I was like. I've lost a couple of people recently. I had someone in my life who was like suicidal and it was like just this thing of like, oh, I really want to live and I'm like fighting to live right now. And that's something I've never done in my real life to like actively fight for my life. And it it was really affirming and really like powerful. And it just, yeah, it's like that age is like, I don't know. I think it, I think it was like, I just find it, found it like incredibly like helpful for the rest of my life to sort of have that experience. And it can be more, uh, uh, 
I, I don't know, democratizing, I guess, if it's because it, fantasy has that idea too, right? Like you're, you're fighting against these evils, but you're, there's almost always this, and that maybe this is a bit of a trope, but the hero's journey, like you're destined to have yeah. this fight. But horror doesn't have any of those usually. It's usually just like you're just a random person yeah. who is stuck in this really horrible situation and you have to fight for your life. And there's something more visceral about that than people can identify with that isn't Frodo, right? It isn't like you're having this, yeah. this uh, uh, you know, destined thing. Well, well. <laughs> as I said that, I'm like, wait a second, Molly's going <laughs> to... Peter Jackson was a horror director and I think he brought many elements of horror into Lord of the Rings and Frodo is a very vulnerable protagonist. I could talk for five hours, so I'm going to stop now. <laughs> <laughs> As I said that one, I'm like, that's actually not the best example because he is probably the, the one character who is not destined to get the ring, and the, but he, that's why he's so good at it. And he's, it's, he's, he's always, I, I showed it to a friend who had never seen it, and she was like, he's always getting stabbed and grabbed, like, <laughs> multiple times. I was like, yeah, that's the Frodo Baggins story. So <laughs> I think that, yeah, yeah, like, but a lot of classic fantasy, it, it is like an empowered protagonist, and that's mm-hmm. its own power fantasy that's empowering in its own way, but like, horror is specifically so vulnerable like there's a reason why so many horror movies focus on like young women like we're running around and like not a lot of clothes and like partly it's sexual but also it's like that is so vulnerable and it's it's that is the point like the the point of a horror movie is to convey pure emotion and and it's it's pretty cool as a medium I really really love horror movies so much I think it's also interesting how different genres of horror touch on different um fears specific to like our species and so on. Um, mm. Cosmic horrors that unease about the alien world, the oceans, things we're not completely certain about body horror, which I can't talk about far too much. Um, <laughs> I've found really interesting because I think it connects with the fact that we all know that we are actually completely unaware of what's happening under our skin. Like we're sort of aware that like we have organs going, but we have no idea if there are any parasites in there. The parasites are tunneling through, you know, the walls of a heart trying to get somewhere else and things like that. Is there a tumor growing? Is there our arteries contracting? We have no idea about anything that's happening inside our bodies. And it's interesting how body horror just kind of leans in, grabs and goes like, remember that thing you try not to think about? And I think every genre of horror kind of does that in a slightly different way. Yeah, like yeah. dials up the fight or flight mm-hmm. that we all have inside of us. Yeah, very much the like memento mori. Remember, you will die. And that's every time. It's like, maybe you'll die from aliens. Maybe you'll die from bacteria. <laughs> maybe it will be a cult. <laughs> Let's find out. <laughs> Please not a cult. That's terrible. I know. Yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. That is what I wrote for the D and D book, though. So, sorry. Yeah. So I I talked to Wes uh, for a lore you should know about that domain of dread. uh, I think uh, already. So yeah, why why don't we transition to talking about what? uh, Because a lot of those genres you just mentioned, uh, Cassandra, are detailed in different little mini settings within this book. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, Molly, you want to talk about what 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 you wrote for for Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft? Yeah, um, yeah, Wes Schneider approached me and gave me a sort of bunch of options, and I chose the full horror option because I was, I like came from upstate New York. Yeah, <laughs> thank you for the approval. And like, <laughs> like knew a lot of like Wiccan people and went to like Beltane bonfires and things like that. That was my childhood. Um, and so I, I knew that there was like something there that I could really connect to. And yeah, it was just so fun. It was fun to watch a bunch of movies and do a ton of research and just 
I'm not sure if it made it into the book or not, but I sort of sat down and wrote a paragraph on just like what folk horror is quintessentially and like how it is this fear of the natural world kind of like being more powerful mm -hmm. than we are. And this fear of kind of like these like natural rhythms that are, that have no, that do not care about humans. And so like it often involves a cult who is kind of keyed into these natural rhythms, but there's like this like, like natural sense of order that's very cruel that will result in people dying. And like the cult doesn't feel the same way about it than most people do about, about death. And so it's like, it's, it's interesting because it both, it's one of those things where it's like, it, it could feel really positive. Um, part of the domain is like, the domain is this like, like uh, a small enclosed valley where they're all in this kind of like nature worshiping cult. And one of the questions for characters, if they're building like, like a character in the world, they have to ask like, why do they, why do you love this village so much? Why do you love being in this cult? Because it has this kind of positive like naturalistic side and then it has this really dark and vicious and brutal side and that was that was really fun to play with yeah, there's something, and we'll talk about this, about some other parts of, of Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, but the thing about folk horror for me is always this idea that the pastoral or the rural is good. You know, like, oh, it's great to have a farm and have a big family and everyone gets together and they have May Day celebrations and, oh, we have to put the person into the, you know, thing with the bees. Yeah. And you're like, wait a second, all that was great up until the, you know, this thing that gets, you know... It plays well, like, with our ideas of, of yeah. what is good. And we do, like, we, I think, especially if you're, like, a millennial living in a city, like, we all want to go live on little farms. But then it's, like, when you do that, you have to understand the cycle of life and death. And you have to be comfortable with, like, butchering animals and watching animals die and kind of, like, engaging in that cycle that is really, we're very removed from it in a lot of modern, a lot of ways of modern society. And so it's, yeah, it was, like, really interesting to dig into where it's just, it's not even necessarily a bad thing. It's just this reality about nature that, again, like this genre of horror reminds us that we are just connected to nature, even though we try to set ourselves apart from it. Farms are scary. <laughs> they are to like the urban dwellers. There's all, you know, an outsider is that always seems to be like the setup. Um, I was just going to say, yeah, uh, the thing that you said, Molly, about us being slightly disconnected as city people from rural living and the cycles of life and death. Um, it actually reminds me, um, the first time I went to a Thai restaurant with a friend and we had like a whole fish, he completely freaked out because he was, I think, about 25 and had never seen an entire fish served. And I was like, where do you think fish meat come from? And he's like, yeah. they're always showed up in slabs. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, you're like, it doesn't grow in a tube. Like, it's a... Yeah. <laughs> this belongs on a thing. Yeah, it's so, it is so It's looking at me. Its yeah. eyes are looking mm. at me as I'm eating it. It's definitely a thing, like, I, like, eat meat, and I try really hard to, like, engage with that and, like, like do occasionally, like, butcher my own small animals just mm -hmm. so that I know. Because it is, like, you can just get so disconnected and be like, this is just a tasty thing that comes to me breaded in a little lump. And to be like, this was an animal, like, like it was alive, like, I was alive. There is, like, a respect that's due to that is, mm -hmm. is important. Yeah, absolutely. And it's connecting those ideas in this horrific way mm -hmm. that can that can you know also be educational in some ways. Uh, mm -hmm. All right, so uh, Cassandra, what what uh, were some of the uh, parts of Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft that you contributed to? Um, Wes came to me and did the same thing. It's like here are all these options. Are there any of these that you're interested in working on? And I kind of flying tackled cosmic horror and body horror. 
And um, I got to break down um, how each of the genre works, why they're scary, kind of dig really deep into it. Because I think especially for like body horror, and yes, I keep going back. <laughs> um, it's easy to fall into the belief that it's just about the scare. If you pop out someone's heart, the intestines fall out, that's supposed to be scary. And I talked a lot about, and I'm not quite sure how much of that was retained, about why that's scary, the little elements, the little things, how um, a small lesion that keeps growing in the back of your neck and it's just in different ways from hour to hour, for example, uh, is possibly less scary than somebody running around holding his heart in his hand. Um, and I gave the same treatment for cosmic horror, kind of touching on the idea of that fear of the other, fear of the alien. Well, and because it's such a loaded genre because of its history, just kind of moving it as far away as possible from its more problematic elements. Um, I got to do a little bit on the domain of the Sea of Sorrows, but I think that one became a whole meshing of other things together. But it still turned out really cool and very excited about all of us. I'm really excited to read your take because I love the idea of cosmic horror and it is people are just always like Lovecraft, tentacle monster. And it's truly the most boring take and so stale and there's so much more than it could be. So I can't wait to read that. I am going to interrupt our host and say you really must read Rain Shout in that case. That is one of the best books I've read in, I think, 2020. It completely blew me away. Um, It's historical fiction to extend and it, hits on the idea that the KKK are just monstrous, but just outright monsters. Mm. And it deals with it in such a brilliant way. I remember just swearing out loud in appreciation by the end of the first chapter. Like, <laughs> what is it? What's, it? What's the title again? Uh, Ring Shout. Ring Shout? Mm. Cool. I'm writing it. <laughs> nice. That yeah. really good. So, I mean, my understanding of Cosmic Horror is the Lovecraft tentacles. So what, what is, is it about the idea that there is something larger and, and more alien out there and we don't know what it is and it could be with us now at any moment? Is that, what, what is it, the, the, the uh, thesis statement for what you think uh, cosmic horror is? I think it's different for everybody, but for me personally, I think it connects to the fear. Um, like you said, there's something larger and more alien out there, but it's not that it's interested in us and that it might be here with us. It's just the possibility that we're completely and absolutely non-entities mm. in its eyes. And if it kills us, if it destroys us, it's you know just part of an alien person purpose and it might not even notice that we're there to begin with um and that sense of just kind of being extendable extraneous is something i think uh we're socialized to not really be able to grasp our mind around and i think the genre becomes really problematic when we transpose that fear onto other people and things that don't look like us people that don't look like us because when that happens i think um that instigates the desire to go, okay, that thing is unknowable and terrifying and we have to go after it. And that is a whole different conversation that I could be having (laughs) right now. No, I mean, that makes total sense. Yeah. And it's so, it's just so cool because it is, I think Lovecraft was like so pampered by like being incredibly racist and xenophobic. And it just is like, 
I feel like the re real thing of like cosmic heart, where you think about there being a giant entity that doesn't care about us makes you feel really close to other people because it's like, we, we are the only people that we are the only like things that can acknowledge that we matter. Like this, this giant thing does not know, know about us. And that's, I feel like that it can be very like life affirming too, in a way that is often missed. It's like this old, the old Douglas Adams joke where, you know, the ultimate most torturous thing that you can do to an entity is to show a huge map of the universe with a small <laughs> arrow that says, you are here. Uh, I love <laughs> yeah, I love that joke. And it is, it's true. It's like the idea that you're powerless to stop this thing that's just all consuming and will destroy you just because you're, you're, you're an obstacle in the way, not because you are an entity at all. Like it doesn't even know that you, like, like we don't know the individual names of all the bacteria on our mm -hmm. hands, but we'll wash them and kill them, and we don't know. We're the cosmic horror to those bacteria. Right. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Bob. We're the cosmic horror to them. They can be the body horror to us. We can be yeah. the body horror to the cosmic. <laughs> they can be like, this one big circle. <laughs> A big, big horrific circle. circle. Yeah. I love that. Oh. So you you have both written some like many different types of, I mean, like novellas, an animated TV show, graphic novels, and now you know, and a lot of work on on games. Is it different with horror on all of those different mediums? Do you have to write it in a different way? Do you have to see it in your mind in a different way, or is it just horror just translates well to different many different mediums? I'll start with, how about Cassandra? I'm so pondering, but I think it actually translates fairly easily to various mediums. Like fear is universal at the end of the day, even if we're very different depending on our upbringing, where we're raised and so on. We understand those fundamental fears. We understand being afraid of our bodies, being afraid of the unknowable, being afraid of the water and things like that. I think what's tricky though sometimes is mapping those fears onto whatever medium that we're using. And especially when we're talking about things that are really interactive, like video games or tabletop games, um, you only have a finite set of tools to explain your understanding of things. And then it becomes a challenge of seeing how to jigsaw all of it together. But horror as a genre itself, I think, translates well to virtually everything. Yeah. Yeah, I think it really exists in different, I think a lot about different, like the differences between mediums, but um, yeah, I think like something like film or TV, it's it's something that is happening to you. And that's why we have things like jump scares. It is something that you sit down and the scary experience happens in a box in front of you. And that's one experience. A graphic novel is like, for me, it's always more about cultivating a feeling of unease because I know that I can't do a jump scare. I know that like, I could draw something scary, but it's still going to be in my style. It's not, it's, I probably won't be able to give like a really scary image. Um, there's, there's definitely artists who are like the exception to that rule, like Emily Carroll, who does like incredible horror comics. Um, but yeah, like working it, working in something that like in this like arena of writing for D&D &D, and then like when I've run like horror sessions in my games, I found it to be so cool because you can really get into people's heads and do this really it is like, it's stuff that you couldn't quite show in a graphic novel or a TV show where, like Cassandra said, like the little lesion that's like slowly growing and it's not that big a deal, but it's your body. And so you you are constantly aware of it. Um, when I was running a, I ran a D&D &D session where um, everybody was like slowly getting cursed by a demon and they would, every night they would roll. And if they got 
a bad role, they would have like a nightmare about the demon and they'd wake up and something about them would change. And so it was just so cool to wake up and be like, like you wake up and like one of your teeth has turned black or like you have a little patch of scales and you think it's growing. And to just have these little physical things that are like for the player to imagine their character having that was a kind of horror that like I couldn't have conveyed through any other medium. Because it was the roll of the dice, right? Because you're like, well, it's not it's not even me, the dungeon master, yeah. who's doing it to you. It is fate that Yeah, gave and to this you. yeah, this feeling of like this could happen at any moment. But then just yeah, also the the intimacy of I mean, I think books like prose novels share this as well, where you just can be inside someone's head mm-hmm. in a really, really cool way. And so you can start to hint at like um I, you know, like delusions and disordered thinking and pains and things that like you can start to wonder what's real and what's not real like there's just a lot of really interesting things you can do with that more intimate kind of um storytelling mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i actually think that applies as well to like video games i think i think of amnesia a lot and how just having the mechanic where you can kind of hide inside rooms and pull yourself into closets like that is absolutely terrifying because you don't know where the monster is you don't know what's going on and you kind of can peep out of the cupboard. And I think it is very similar to what you're describing. Yeah. Oh, that's so, I don't play. I don't that really that play gives me goosebumps. I don't like that either. So <laughs> yeah. Alien no, Isolation was really a lot like that too. Oh God, Alien Isolation. Oh. I, I couldn't play it, but I watched some, a lot of streams yeah, of people playing it. it, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is so." I, I was at a preview event, and there was just, which is usually for a video game thing, it's very, you know, you don't really get immersed. Uh, but there is people screaming, you know, in various <laughs> ways all over, and that somehow contributed to our collective fear while playing the game. It was it was great, uh, and so it's. I, I'd love to be able to kind of create that in, in a tabletop setting. So uh, you know, uh, what what are some tips or some things that we can do uh, for dungeon masters who are probably more in the heroic fantasy milieu to get into the right mindset? I know Van Richten's uh, guide has a lot of guide posts on how to do this for horror but what are your personal uh you know tips or tricks uh molly to to kind of have those type of things in 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 some of the games that you might be running yeah i found that um time things well so i think like at least with my players like they go insane when you hint that there is something and so it's really easy to create an atmosphere of dread by dropping little hints that something is happening um And you like really don't have to, you like shouldn't show its full face, but just to be like, there is something happening. There's a pattern to these things that are happening to you and you don't know what it is. That makes people really scared. And I think also pulling in like your character, the character's emotional connections, um, pulling in and being like, oh, that like character, like you said in your backstory that you like had this like torrid love affair with someone. What if he's here now, but he's a zombie and he's undead. And I'm describing that, like to have that, emotional connection, then the players are bringing their own level of intensity to it. Um, and that can be like pretty, pretty fun. <laughs> I, I really like running horror as, as I feel like all of my dungeons sort of end up being horror because it's just so evocative of emotion. What about you, Cassandra? Um, I think grounding people in sensory details, um, especially important. Like letting them know exactly the dimensions of the house, what do you smell, the quality of light outside a room, getting people into the mindset that they're very present in a thing and they have that shape in their head. Because once they do, you, and you, you can start pulling those little details away 
And like uh, Molly said, people get kind of wild about the fact that when you do things like that, and they're like, wait, what's going on? And I think it's especially powerful when they know what normal should be. And it could be simple things as well. Once they have that established, like having this moonlight be slightly greener than they remember in the last night, um, it will definitely cause people to be very distressed after a while or things moving. It's like, wait, is that pot there? Why is it there? Wasn't it in the kitchen? It's so easy to like drive your players crazy. <laughs> so it's so fun. I just feel like all of mine are like, what's the mystery? What's happening? Like we're paying attention to every single thing you say and like extrapolating a whole story. And it's, it just lends itself so well to horror. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's very easy to spell. Like just hearing you talk, I'm like, oh, I don't like that. I feel <laughs> creepy. And thinking about like the moonlight changing in a different way or, you know, just something out of place. I, I would spiral. I would yeah. definitely be like, well, what? yeah, something bad's happening. What's happening? It's so easy, though, especially in a group, to just pick up on each other's fear. And then it's just like you're all, everybody's going to be scared. Like you you can't you, you can't turn around and, and look at someone without them. Be like, what? What's behind me? What? Why are you looking at me? One, it's going to be fun in a D&D game. One yeah. thing I've been trying to create. Like, oh, oh sorry. sorry. Go ahead. Um, uh, what I, I think it applies to real life as well. Like we're boring behaviors that are applicable to our daily existence. I remember being in a car once with a friend and we were driving down this highway like 2 a.m. at night and we saw this box that was about man high just upright in the middle of the highway and I swear to God we spent about 20 minutes just stopping and staring at it going like it's probably just a box. But is well, it? <laughs> you didn't just go over there and kick it down? Oh, God, no. <laughs> we spent 20 minutes and then we took a different route. We actually... Yeah, that is such a scary image. I love that. Because so often it is. It just, is. Yeah, these things that are real, like, and it's so simple. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a coffee maker on a chair in a street <laughs> once. And I was like, what are were the... the <laughs> what were the things that led to this happening? I didn't go to horror, but maybe it was. Maybe it was, uh, it was yeah. a sign. I um I played a lot of sorry to like plug another tabletop game but I played a good amount of 10 candles um mm. which is like a very like narrative based yeah. horror game where you know that your players are going to die at the end and it's very very collaborative it's always one session but the conceit of it is that you light 10 tea candles and you're supposed to play it at night and like as the candles go out different things in the story happen and like like if you're like using a trait I think you blow out a candle when your character dies you blow out a candle until you get down uh-huh. to the last candles and it's the atmosphere. I played it over Zoom a couple times in the pandemic and having everyone have their own circle of candles and then like having the screen just get darker and darker. Oh so my scary. god. It's really I good. I really recommend That's a cool it. It's idea. Cool. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So I think I think that that kind of thing, I, I haven't DM'd for a little bit, but I'm, I feel like I would love to bring in some elements of like candles and and like atmosphere if the, if the time of day is right. I mean, like, um, uh, sound soundtracks are always great, like spooky soundtracks. Um, yeah, there's a lot of ways to build up the atmosphere and just make everyone a little bit tense. Yeah, and uh, uh, Sirenscape is a great soundboard uh, that can be used as a, for Dungeon Master to create those kind of soundscapes as well. Um, I'm experimenting with uh, something in my in my game that I'm running now where I want to kind of create like a recurring. Uh, villain or monster for them but i'm struggling with the idea of like well every every D party is kind of set up to like all right here's the encounter 
we're going to kill it until it's dead. And how do how do how would you suggest uh, trying not, you know not to just DMs fiat and just be like oh he got away or they got away, uh, but to try to figure out how how to kind of create this uh, ongoing villain that could be similar to you know some of the big heavy hitters of you know Jason and Freddy and like you know that people know the catches and the phrases and the things that will will, will uh, make that that horror and that anticipation happen if they were ever to see those again but without having to defeat the monster each time. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, people, um, like, like don't know what the monster's stats are, and so you can keep those things really mysterious. Um, I remember the first, like, big game that I played, um, a hag, a coven of hags was, like, our ongoing villain, and she, like, we met her first when we were first level, and she was really, really scary, um, and we were all kind of traumatized from that encounter. And like, even when we kept, we didn't know that hags were like not super high level. So even when we kept meeting her at like higher and higher levels, we would like hear a sign of the hag and like everyone would just book it because we didn't want to like, like have to be involved with this. Like it, it went so poorly for us the first time. So yeah, I feel like the idea, and she was so scary because she was like trying to mess with us and trying to kind of like make bargains and like do these like evil little riddles like she was playing with us and so it was it was like this isn't just a monster this is like a malicious force and she could be anywhere she could be doing anything so yeah <laughs> i suggest that's a good idea sometimes when i get like i i have a, a thing for witches i just i think past life or something but i i always wanted to be a or witch current and life. I, current life i pretend i am um Really into the hex bloods in Van Richten's guide, yeah. um, but sometimes, like you know, if somebody gets me really angry, I always have this fantasy of just like babbling at them, just staring at them, and then just saying <laughs> words and just making them think, like, what did she just do to me? Oh I I've never been brave enough to actually do it, but I always I think about it. I think I'm gonna I, try. Yeah, it works. Um, it works. <laughs> So some people got really angry in my family when I was a lot younger. And I remember we were creeped out for weeks because this one guy showed up and was like, I killed a black rooster and if you said blood as a sacrifice and I wish misfortune on your family. And I was like, what? And just left and we we're like, okay. Then. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's I so, don't know what to do with that I mean, it just like is weird how like even just so much horror is such a basic like what if someone is outside your house mm-hmm. and they are mad yes. at you and they are they are not following the normal social protocol of like how to deal with anger and it's it's like the scariest thing in the world. So I think it I think often like making a recurring villain just when it gets really personal for the characters and like it feels like the villain is out for them personally and is like maybe yeah. watching them all the time like that's so scary. And that's so scary to have a person leave a rooster outside your, your door. That's- I know. Greg, can you use that? Like something like, 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 like maybe this, the villain believes they, they, they wronged him in some different, in some time of their lives and they must avenge for that now. Right. Getting, to get some motivation there in the backstory. Yeah, the problem is my like char- the characters I'm playing with uh, don't have a lot of backstory. They're very much the like, Show up to a D and D session, and I want to kill monsters uh, type of thing. So I'm having to build a lot of the mm. psychological neuroses things of my own as the dungeon master. You have to do like a Grendel's mother situation where they killed mm. 
the child of a much more powerful monster. Oh, that is a great idea. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think I've, I think I've got the seeds planted for that already, uh, yeah. honestly. So, all right, good. I'm going to use that on Wednesday night. Don't tell Bart, Shelley. I'm not going to tell <laughs> I play in a session with Bart's husband, so. Uh, you know, the <laughs> things I say here yep. are in the cone of silence. Oh, yeah, totally. I never, and I also have a terrible memory, so I usually just forget by the time we're done with interviews. <laughs> I don't know what we talked about. Nope. I'll just listen to the, the podcast next week, like everyone else. Um, you, Greg, you can also, there's so many good tables in this book that you could, you know, if, if they're not giving you a backstory, you should just give them one. Ooh. One of the things that I like super creeps me out also in this book is the reborn. Like the idea of like knowing that you were dead before mm-hmm. and like having flashes of potentially of, of like how, how you died. And then is it going to happen again? I don't know. I just think dungeon masters are going to have a lot of fun with this book. Yeah. But I, players too, because <laughs> I want to play it all. I want to play it all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I hope that all of what we've been talking about here, as well as all of your uh, work in uh, horror, kind of does. I mean, we've had a lot of stories being told around, um, you know, the Curse of Strahd and, and the Barovia storyline, and there will still be more to come because I think that type of gothic horror is something that will be with, you know, our culture and gaming forever. But I'm really excited about the new types of genre horrors out there and your work. Uh, both of your work is is going to, you know, hopefully elevate that and get more cosmic, more body horror, more folk horror, more of the amazingness out there so that uh, we see a lot more variety in, in in the stories that can be told around the table. I'm really yeah. excited about it. I'm so psyched. <laughs> I can't wait to see the rest of it and see what everyone did with all the prompts. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. Yeah. I <laughs> Think of all the streaming games that are going to come with uh, with some of, you know, your inspiration there yeah. behind it. Yeah. I haven't thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's horror. <laughs> that's a totally different kind of horror. <laughs> uh, next, the next book that we have to do in this milieu is all about uh, uh, imposter syndrome and how scary Pub- that public is. speaking, <laughs> imposter syndrome, <laughs> <laughs> having to introduce yourself, small talk at a party. <laughs> oh my god, no! <laughs> <laughs> Worst horror ever. Exactly. Well, I'm trying to think of like what's the horror genre that's like analogous to that fear. I don't know. I feel like it's being like put into the wrong body and you have to pretend that you're that person. <laughs> and that if you're not yeah. smiling, you Everyone's die. treating me like I'm someone, but I'm just an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. Just if you say the wrong thing, you're going to be killed. So good. You're going to be fine. <laughs> don't mess up. <laughs> that's You'll that's what brave. it feels like, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Awesome. Well, uh, I love talking to the both of you. Uh, very creative. Very excited about all of uh, this. And Van Richten's will be in people's hands very soon, May 18th. And so I can't and wait. Update. And it's going to be great. So thank you both of you for coming on and talking to us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. It was, it was so nice to see you guys again. And Cassandra, so nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. I'm a huge fan of your work. I know. It was I nice to see. <laughs> it was nice to see you two, you know, kind of, fanning over each other's work (laughs) (laughs) that was really great Mm. so it's never the people that you expect that uh, write horror (laughs) right (laughs) I just kept thinking that the whole time like they just seem really nice fun yeah cool people which they are and you can be but also really get into the dark stuff 
right? You know, when we yeah. interviewed uh, Amanda and Wes, you know, perhaps it's 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 a little bit more apparent from 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 their apparel or or uh, background, maybe just their Zoom backgrounds. Like, oh yeah, as we said, those are the those are the goth kids uh, who who are coming to town. Oh my god, that still makes me laugh. Yeah, but with uh, with Molly and, and Cassandra, I was just like, yeah, these just seem uh, like really wonderful uh, storytellers who yeah. like to go uh, a little dark That's sometimes. A little dark. Yeah, that's so cool. Very, very amazing and talented. You, and that's that's uh, some of the fun of horror as well, right? That that uh, something that is unassuming that you don't think is going to be evil or or have malicious intent in any way might just have some of that, right? And yes, we, like like we talked about. Oftentimes, that is the twist, right? Mm. That's why childlike things are the perhaps the creepiest when you're a like, doll. oh, it's full of innocence and love, like a wonderful looking carionette. A cla- oh. oh, speaking of carionettes, can we give a shout out to uh, Flora, who is an amazing uh, SFX, I always get the letters mixed up, SFX. Uh, makeup artist, who uh, you can find on, on Twitter. Um, she, she did an amazing uh, recreation with makeup of four of the creatures from... Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. She has completely brought them alive in the most beautiful, artistic, just like above and beyond. Um, it's truly incredible. Her work is amazing. Like even if you, the, the four that that she's done for Van Richten are are incredible. But just go back and look at at her previous work. She's she's uh, she's so talented, and she's done um, video capture too, so you can see. How she how it's did done. it all? How mm. like you know, obviously sped up, but because I'm sure it took her hours and hours. But yeah, wow, I know it's that's, so cool. That's part of the fun of watching uh, some of those reality television shows, like Face Off or whatnot, where you can yep, see people yep. how they take you know a 2D image and turn that into sculpture in some ways, but wearable sculpture that they uh, put on their own bodies. Like that is. Super fascinating to look into, and it honestly has a lot of uh, horror themes in its own, right? Like transforming yourself to look like a monster. That's what horror does quite often. So I love all of the implications of this, and the work is fantastic. And that carionette, I would not like to meet uh, in a a dark alley. Don't want to meet one. I don't want to meet one in like... The makeup section of Nordstrom. Like I, I can't think of like a happier place to be. But not. Nope. No. 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 Get away from me with your little silver needle. You're not putting that in my neck. Mm -mm. You're not getting me. Mm -mm. Not today, carrying it. And unicycles, right out. (laughs) Just get out, unicycler. Unless it's a bear on a unicycle. Oh, but then he's a creepy bear who's gonna eat your face like Fred Knights at Freddy's. Fred Fred Knights at Freddy's. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's the IP, right? Uh, yeah. Funny That's aside, it. there is a family near my in my house in West Seattle who loves unicycling, and a whole family. Well, there's like two kids, like one of the one of the it's like you know kids who are not that much older than mine, uh, unicycling by, and Damn. for some reason, I immediately be like, mm, uh, are they okay? <laughs> I don't know why. Something about the unicycle just is a little triggering for you. Maybe it's this carionette, and maybe that's why. I don't know. Um, another little aside, if I may be a little, uh, do a little self promo. Ooh. Speaking of ghosts, so I had this this child this phase when I was uh, a young teen, where mm-hmm. I was contacting um, ghosts through a Ouija board, like a lot. I would I would just like come home from school, and my best friend and I would just go up upstairs and 
just talk to dead people for a while. Anyway, you can. I wrote about an experience with one of them, and uh, you can read all about it. Go to my website or wherever, Twitter or Facebook. I'm sure I'll link to it there. Um, it's called I Was a Teenage Ghost Whisperer, and um, it's just about an experience that maybe didn't go so well. With Did one you of perhaps friends. use a spirit board uh, along the lines of uh, our Ravenloft swag? Um, I have not, and I probably won't, although I'm very tempted. But I do feel like I'm just a very strong conduit for um, ghosts, and therefore I should be careful. Mm. You can't just mess around with that stuff, Greg. Okay, you mean the stuff that doesn't exist? <laughs> just read my story, okay? <laughs> All right, we'll call you Conduit Shelley. Call me Jennifer Love Hewitt. Medium. Are you a medium? Is that what that is? Oh, no, because they don't. I don't. No, you're extra large. Like... <laughs> 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 I'm going to crawl. I, I, I know. I should have said extra small. That would have made it much more funnier. No, it's fine. You went there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Well, if blame you, the pandemic. If you hate this conversation and want to leave a message uh, on, uh, uh, you know, iTunes or all of the fun stuff, please let us know how we're doing uh, on Dragon Talk. We're very excited about your feedback. That is <laughs> it's terrible. I know it doesn't matter. We're just asking for it. Uh, or oh. you can let us know on Twitter. I'm at Greg Tito, and I'm at Shelly Moo. Yay! Oh, and there's Instagram things too, but we're, we're running behind. So uh, DungeonsandDragons.com is where you can find out all about the fun stuff that's going on with D&D. You download Dragon Plus to your phone. There's a great issue coming out soon that will have tons of stuff. Uh, well, there's one out already about Ravenloft, but tons of stuff about things to come uh, in the future. Download it to your phone or check it out on DragonMag.com. Sign up for our newsletter. It's it. in the show notes. You can get hot D&D news delivered to your inbox whenever. Yeah, right that. It makes that sound. That's the sound that it makes when it goes right into your inbox. Exactly. We are Foley artists. We can make any sound with our our mouths. And I think it's time to see what's happening with Drunky Two-Shoes and Daryl. Okay. They made it to the Harper Safe House in the North Ward of Waterdeep. And... The chapter head there lets you know that there is a possible contingent of doppelgangers infiltrating the city, perhaps at the highest levels of government. They are trying to target the secret lords uh, and perhaps even the open lord, Laryl Silverhand herself. We are unsure of who is who uh, in the city and it is part of the job of the Harpers to try to find out what is going on. You have this amulet in front of you, and in, uh, as you're looking at it, and you, I think the last thing was you asked this uh, yes. uh, this person what, what what this amulet might mean. Yes. Um, this uh, he, he he takes a look at the amulet and he sees ah oh, there's uh, uh, the shapes in here are well worn. It's kind of hard to see at first glance, but uh, he he says a few words of incantation and, and, and some of the uh, visual elements of the metal of this amulet uh, and the amethyst, the purple amethyst that is in it starts to uh, glimmer a little bit more and you realize that it is actually two amethysts uh, next to each other and the metal shows an outline of an owl. 
uh, and the two amethysts are where the owl's uh, eyes would be. Uh, and as, he, as he's kind of doing these incantations and revealing this uh, detail in the amulet, he says, that's why. What's why? This amulet uh, confers the ability to see what creatures really are. If they, uh, if, if you are wearing this and you see a doppelganger, you would be able to understand that they are uh, not the person that they are impersonating. Oh. That's why it was so important. Okay, well, it sounds like this is a good thing that we have this. Very much so. This will okay. certainly help you. How do I fight a doppelganger? Well, their main weapon is, is stealth and uh, impersonating uh, someone you trust. Right. Um, but they are also very canny fighters on their own. Uh, and he looks at you know, your weapons as well as, as Daryl's and says, it seems you might be capable, but uh, perhaps you might have to recruit a few more to your cause uh, if you want to be successful in your endeavors. Do you have recommendations? I do, in fact. You do? Yes. Okay. Um, you should go to Castle Waterdeep. There uh, is a man uh, by the name of Victor. Uh, he is the castellan there, and uh, he is a trusted member of our order. He will be able to assist you uh, there at the, at, at the castle, as well as perhaps point to other allies. I'm going to do an insight check. Okay. Would you believe I lost? Oh. Uh, an eight. That an is eight. With my bonus. Uh, so he seems uh, very earnest. Uh, okay. And, and uh, you know, if do you put on the amulet? Yes. All right, so you put on the amulet and... Uh, I use it and I look at Daryl immediately. You look at Daryl immediately? Yep. Uh, Daryl has his, has his back kind of turned for a second because uh, he was just looking. It was, there was a loud noise outside uh, just as you were putting it on and he kind of looks. And then when he turns back, it's not Daryl's face. God damn it. <laughs> and we'll pick it up there. <laughs> oh, this is so good. Yes, it's a weird alien-looking face uh, that doesn't appear to look like I, your brother how at I all. Pick, how did I come home with the wrong Daryl? How long have I had the wrong Daryl? You don't know. Okay. We will find out. Maybe you got to rescue Daryl again. Who knows? So it's just, am I like stuck in a memento type situation? Where <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to like... Uh, the tattoos. I think I have him. <laughs> yep. And don't, now he's gone. Don't trust Daryl. Don't trust his lies. I'm just going to write on my arm, check the amulet. Use the amulet when you look at Daryl. Awesome. All right, but okay. we'll be back next week and find out what happens. Okay. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye.